Welcome to the Hinterland Baptist Unplugged and Reset Podcast. A podcast all about helping you achieve change and personal growth through our Reset Challenge. The goal? To help you pull the plug on stress, insecurity and depression and replenish you spiritually, mentally, socially and physically. And now your host... Pastor Chris. Yeah, well, welcome, Stuart. Um, yeah, I appreciate you coming on and, and doing this with me. Um, yeah, today we're talking about financial health and well-being. And you are Stuart Sampson, and you work with Christians Against Poverty. Yeah, that's right. And uh, do we do we call it CAP? Is that how you guys refer to it? Or? Yeah, that's right. CAP is uh, the common usage, so happy to go with that. Cool. Cool. So yeah. Um, well, why don't we start out with what, um, cap does and what you do there and talk about that a bit and then we can get into financial health and well-being and all that yeah, good stuff. Totally. totally. Cap, um, is all about improving people's financial well-being, but doing that through the local church. And so cap, um, really we provide training, support, um, networking to local churches who are interested in being involved in that kind of work in their community and, and seeing their communities flourish financially. And so we train people to run uh, group education workshops on, on financial wellbeing, really taking people through the basics of building a budget, making that balance, how to manage debt, build savings, all that sort of stuff. Um, but also walking with people one on one in a more mentoring capacity and really uh, helping people on that long journey out of debt often, um, as that can be a really tumultuous one or just one that's really difficult, um, or just walking with people to help them build their financial wellbeing generally. Um, and doing that in the context of local church community. Um, we want people to not feel like they're alone in their finances, that it's not a taboo topic to talk about, that um, together we can do this. And doing this with the local church means we do it um, in the name of Jesus. We think that the Bible has a lot of practical wisdom um, to, to, to share about, um, about building financial health and, and stewardship and managing finance uh, in a way that makes communities flourish, not just individuals flourish. So that's what we're all about. Uh, my job is really overseeing our financial education curriculum, um, the sort of stuff that it's going out and participants are engaging with and using and, and understanding. So, so that's my role there at CAP. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's, um, uh, finances are a really uh, interesting thing because they are so powerful in the lives of so many people. And, um, you know, we're talking about a lot of different areas of health, but financial situations definitely affect how people, you know, feel and how healthy they are in other areas of life too. Mm. Um, I, I've, uh, I, you know, and this is kind of a, a hard thing to really pin down, but I think that the Bible talks about finances and um, well, finances in some form or fashion, materialism, things like that. And it's really just probably more than any other topic. Um, there's so much in there about it. Um, and I know when a, when a pastor starts talking about finances, there's there's always a little bit of eyebrows that get raised. Like, um, man, I see, is this is this guy after our money? Um, but really, I, and I, when I teach about finances, I try to tell people, you know, God doesn't want your money; He just doesn't want your money to get you, um, because right, it's right. so easy to get caught up in that. Um, yeah, just just finances can rule our life if we're not careful mm. in a, in a really negative way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, what well when we talk about financial well-being, how how might we define that? So really, financial well-being. I mean, there's a, a growing consensus of what that is. I mean, it's 
it's relatively broad and, and sort of hard to pin down in, in many ways. But um, mm. in Australia, we're having, we, we've got more consensus of what that means now. It's basically um, being able to manage your day-to-day expenses, both now and being able to do that in the future. It's having a sense of control or a feeling of sort of satisfaction with where you are um, financially. So that's sort of more of a subjective sort of how you feel about it, about your finances. Uh, and also having some resilience to financial shocks or um, the sort of different, uh, the, the random facts of life that some, you know, the, the being uh, prepared for the unexpected um, and being able to manage those things relatively well and, and not have it sort of see your financial um, life implode. So that's really what financial well-being is, managing money day to day, feeling like a sense of control or satisfaction with your finances and being able to be resilient to financial shocks. Um, is the consensus of what, what that really means. Yeah. I, what you say there about it, it's broad. It is very broad, isn't it? Because uh, finances can mean, uh, or well, financial comfort security can mean a lot of different things to a lot mm-hmm. of different people. Can it? Um, I, I suppose often when, you know, when you ask how much is enough, most people would probably say a little bit more um, yeah, regardless totally. of how much they have. Um, and, you know, some people can be happy with a little bit and, and others can manage a lot well. Um, and, mm. and sometimes <laughs> even if we have a lot, doesn't necessarily mean we're going to manage it well or be happy with it, does it? Yeah, that's right. And so um, it's interesting, the feelings of um, contentment or control, the satisfaction we have with our money really um, is that one of the aspects least correlated with income, you know, in, in that whole um that whole picture of financial well-being, you know, income certainly helps us manage our money day to day, manage cash flow. It certainly helps us to be more resilient. Um, but uh, actually, amount of money isn't necessarily that strongly correlated with our sense of feeling of satisfaction or control necessarily. Um, there's a lot more sort of our psychological factors, the way we think, and um, the, our, our outlook on life, our beliefs, our values. That has much more to do with that. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you sent me. Um uh, a, a bunch of information, which I thought was great. It was really interesting stuff to look through and, and I'd love to, you know, kind of talk through some of that today. Mm. Um, I know you, you, one of the things, the areas of this stuff you sent me was uh, financial well-being, and, and it consists of objective and subjective components, which I thought was really interesting because when we think of money, I mean, most of us probably at least initially think of just numbers and very, um, I don't know, subjective things maybe, um, but, or maybe objective is what I mean, but maybe we could talk through those a little bit, those objective components of, of financial well-being and what they mean, you know, to all of us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, those objective things are, are that the, the stuff that helps us, um, that, that you see the, the things that feel most tangible, I think is income level, uh, and that's, being able to keep up with the bills, um, objective measures are sort of being able to manage our debt load um, effectively, things like that. The, the sort of stuff that can really be measured by a bank account, anyways, right? The, the objective stuff, job security and stability um, is all part of that. I mean, it's broad, but but basically, it's the the actual hard numbers of it all. Really, is the objective stuff. There's been what people have looked at when they've thought of financial being mostly in the past, you know, if, if we can just raise people's objective standard of living, um, if we can, 
if you could, we can put more money in people's pockets and whether that be by, you know, trickle down economics or government support or whatever, you know, side of that sort of thing. If we can um, lift people's objective standards, um, then, then they'll be okay. But um, what we know is that's not necessarily, they're not necessarily related to each other. Um, there's a whole um, a side of it that's, that's totally subjective. But, but I mean, we, sh we can't ignore the objective stuff, right? Like more, more money in um, people's bank accounts means um, better access to um, food, housing, um, education, all these sorts of things that we know do lift people's um, standard of, of living and, and welfare and well-being. Um, but it's just, yeah, it just misses something. There's something missing in, in the objective stuff that that's hard to pin down. Uh, so it sounds like um, what maybe part of what you guys do is, is helping people understand those subjective things as well in your, your, the work you do with cap. Is that, would that be the case? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, when we, when we like to, when we take people through courses or, or do some mentoring with people, we really like to start with helping people understand uh, their money story mm. you know what what the how, how were you raised um what was money like in your household growing up did you um have um two parents that that earned a wage um, how did they talk about money how did they how did they fight about money you know what was the parties um in in the house you know and every family's going to have a different sort of makeup of that um when it comes to that and, and that really is formative for us in our younger years as we see um, the way our parents or our caregivers use money, think about money, the, how they worry about money, whether they don't worry about it at all, all these sorts of things. Um, we're learning all the time and observing um, those, especially as we grow up. And, and so those become our implicit and our just sort of natural modes of thinking and, and when it comes about money. And, and sometimes those things we can just follow in our parents' footsteps or our caregivers' footsteps almost automatically. Or sometimes we might... Um, just try to do exactly the opposite. We sort of saw how our parents use money. We thought, no way, I don't want to do it like that. So it can be a pendulum effect and swing totally the other way. And so it's good to just be aware of that stuff and, and be aware of the sort of, um, yeah, our implicit uh, ways of thinking, not just about money then, but then actually also about um, sort of our, our worldview. You know, do we believe the world is a good, consistent, safe place that we can trust and we can, um, you know, navigate uh, safely? Or do we believe the world is a, a dangerous, unpredictable place um, that, you know, why worry too much about the future when I just need to sort of um, get through the day sort of thing. And, and when people have grown up in different circumstances, they're everywhere on that spectrum. And so our beliefs and internal attitudes and values have a huge part to play in that. Yeah. That's that uh, one of the things that I've, I've found in, in marriage and working with different couples, especially um, when I do pre-marriage courses with people, one of the things that we talk about is there's, there's pretty much three major areas that are going to cause conflict in a marriage. One of them is how you raise the kids. Um, another one is, is religion. And uh, the, uh, probably the biggest one is finances and how you handle them. Yeah. And we really, totally. yeah, we really kind of, form our, our beliefs and practices around what we saw growing up. And mm. that's, that's very true what you see there. Um, so, so what are some subjective um, components to financial well-being? It's um, it, it really, it, it's interesting because it's a feeling, feelings of control. It, it's really the internal stuff, the way we view it, feelings of control, feelings of security, feelings of satisfaction. Um, but it's interesting. And I mean, in the work we do, um, we work across across the sector, and we we work with um, we, we work through the local church, but we work with um, the financial hardship sector, and 
and things like that. And, and that's, um, you know, in all of that sort of education, there's a, there's a big emphasis, you know, that if we could get our finances right, um, then that would be sort of the building block of a flourishing life. And then that really becomes a cornerstone for many people. And even if that, you know, while sort of, as I mentioned before, people used to really think of that as in the objective way, you know, if we could just raise people's income levels and things like that, then that would really help them um, flourish. Now we sort of understand that there's some subjective elements to that as well. So at least our beliefs, our feelings. Um, but it's interesting in that um, cap working through a, biblical framework, a biblical lens of understanding all this. Um, we, yeah, just sometimes want to thoughtfully provoke and challenge that notion. I mean, um, the sense that if you have your financial life in order, that can be the cornerstone of a sense of having control, security, satisfaction, and all these things. And, and we believe while they might be wonderful um, fruits of having a financial life in order, we think that um, we, we don't, we just don't think that, um, your finances could be the cornerstone of that, if that makes sense. And so um, rather than having sort of sense of control, we talk about having con feeling content, you know, with, with the um, situation that you might have or rather than um, our security being based in our, in our finances, our security being um, in our relationship with, with God, the great unchangeable um, Lord um, and in our relationships with others, really having healthy relationships with others and, feeling is that that brings a greater sense of security uh, and then being able to to spend and use our money joyfully um, in a way that um, is in service of others in for their greater good not just sort of sort of for our own uh, gain that brings a sort of a deeper sense of satisfaction and so um, that that's an interesting area to sort of play around with and, and really talk to people about because if people think that um, their sense of control will come from having all their objective stuff in order, you know, a higher income, a better house, a sort of um, better holiday, you know, all those sorts of things, having with financial life in order, that control and satisfaction come from there. We sort of say it's almost the other way around. Actually, we can um, think of this through biblical lens, you know, following the way of Jesus, being able to practice contentment, generosity, you know, um, use money wisely. That actually gives us a deeper sense of all of, all of those things and, and a truer sense and a more timeless sense of those, of those feelings of security, control and satisfaction. Yeah. That's I, what you're talking about there. I've, I've read recently um, that there are some countries around the world that are starting to not just major or major like uh, gross domestic product and things like that, but feelings of well-being of mm. people in the country, which is really interesting to think of it in that regard. Because like you say, I mean, we, I, I, even myself and, you know, there's so many of us who think that it is just objective. And if, if I get, you know, have this much money and I have this organized, I'm, I'm going to be okay inside, but that's not necessarily mm. true, is it? Mm. Mm. It's an interesting way for us to observe what we value most in life. I think, um, many times when we're doing a budget or writing this down, um, we, we do, we sometimes ask people to consider what's your, if then statement, if that makes sense. So if I had, then I would, you know, so if I had, you know, the bigger income, then I would um, be able to um, be more generous. Or if I had that, then I would be able to um, be more content. Then I would be able to be more happy. And, and whatever that if is, um, means we've put quite a bit of uh, stock in that, you know, we've, we've really, we see that as quite a um, valuable, very important thing, you know, whatever, whatever that might be. And so it's interesting to, to consider that 
people. Um, and yeah, so yeah, that, that if then so, and if I could, uh, yeah, uh, have my, but if I could finally just write a budget or finally be out of debt, then I would be able to be, be happy essentially. Um, mm. and whatever. And interesting that you mentioned that governments are, yeah, around the world measuring things, more subjective measures of, of wellbeing than just sort of gross domestic product. Um, I did a study last year, um, into, into this sort of happiness, um, across cultural, across cultures, because I mean, what, what makes the average sort of Australian happy, you know, the, the objective things or the material things that would make the average Australian happy, totally different um, to what would make, you know, say a Middle Eastern person, person happy. Oh, wow. That is interesting. Just in terms of not, you know, so um, like, for example, in, uh, in, oh man, I'm going to forget the actual, the specific country, but a, but a Central African country, um, they didn't have a specific word for happiness their word for happiness related to just amount of cows someone owned, all right? The amount, okay. of, amount of livestock owned. That was the direct correlation between a person. That, that was how they communicated their state of well-being, their state of happiness, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, is totally irrelevant to the average Australian living in, you know, a city. I don't have any cows, but I'm still a relatively happy person, right? So yeah. um, what is it, what the common denominator is between these two um, people? And uh, it's one of the, it's, it's actually expectation management. So, or aspiration management. So if you have aspirations or expectations that life will be a certain way for me um, and my reality uh, is down here, then my sort of happiness is that far away. Whereas if your aspirations or your expectations and your reality, the closer those two things are, essentially the more happy you're able to be. And so you've sort of got two ways of increasing happiness, either um, you know, better your reality, get your reality closer to your expectation or manage your expectations. So they're a little closer to your reality. And so hopefully people are able to sort of meet them in the middle somewhere and, and, you know, be able to progress like that. But that's a, it's a more cross-cultural way of thinking about happiness that works no matter what it is that you're hoping to, to, to achieve in life or receive in life. Yeah, that's cool. I love that if then statement. That's that's a great statement. I'm I'm gonna have to uh, work that into some sermons somewhere. That's <laughs> a that's a great statement because it really does. When I think about that, I'm like, okay, if this then that. I'm like, okay, yeah, that shows me what's really important to me. Mm. That shows mm. me what really matters. Um, so yeah, that's that's a great statement. You know, in how do you how would you say that um, generosity? might play into uh, like subjective well-being yeah um i mean it's becoming more and more well known that um the more generous people are the, the happier ones you know it, like it feels good there's a science behind you know generosity it feels good to give um it's something in our in our nature we kind of we want to be generous i think um and so when we're not we're almost doing something a little bit unnatural in, in some ways, you know, against our, against our better nature. I think um, you could survey a hundred people and 99% of them would say it's good. It's a good thing to be generous. You know, like, no, I think anyone's on the other side of that. Um, but then, so it's interesting then to think what stops people from being generous. I remember talking to some charity workers um, in my hometown town of Adelaide, where I'm actually visiting at the moment, I'm in my parents' uh, front room as I visit them on holidays in uh, in Adelaide. But, um, 
yeah, I was working, I was talking to some charity workers, you know, the guys who would be in, um, in the mall and they're rattling the tin around Christmas time for different Christmas appeals or to donate to a certain charity. Um, and they said, you know, when we, when we, whenever we do this in the wealthy sides of town, you know, that in the shopping malls that are in the, the East end, as it were here in Adelaide, that's sort of where the, the wealthier suburbs are. We make way less money than if we go up North to what is typically the sort of lower socioeconomic areas. And, and in those suburbs, we make, heaps collect so much more money and so why is that so so that it's just such an interesting um uh why 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 that why the difference there um and and it tends to be true that uh greater incomes don't necessarily equal um greater generosity especially as a proportion to to income necessarily so um it's interesting yeah so why why I think people all believe it's a good thing to give. It's, um, we should, you know, societies thrive and flourish when people are generous. Um, but actually when it comes, maybe it's, that's a good thing for someone else to do, you know? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. But maybe, you know, or getting to, if then, oh, if I had this, then I would be able to be more generous. Um, maybe, but, um, yeah. So that, I think it's just a, an interesting point to, to, to consider why, why people are generous. Yeah. That, that's really interesting about the difference the socioeconomic neighborhoods and how they tend to make more money in the, in the ones that aren't maybe as wealthy as others. Like you wouldn't Mm. naturally assume that, but it's interesting that Mm. it works like that. Yeah. I was, I, I don't know. It's just my kind of own reasoning it out, but I think sometimes when we're generous, it, we kind of show ourselves that we, we do have enough and Mm. we have more than we need. And we kind of, break that control when we, we, cause I yeah. always joke around that your money doesn't do anything. You don't tell it to. It's not like it hops out of your wallet, walks down the street and causes trouble or anything. Mm. But uh, when we are generous, it, it, we kind of show our money that we're in control of it and it's not in control of yeah. us. Um, yeah. That's, that's kind of my thinking on generosity and it, it is such a good thing. And obviously the Bible is, is very big on that and generosity and benevolence and all of that kind of stuff. Um, mm. And there's some different levels um, in this info you sent me that, that contribute towards a person's financial well-being. And there's a few of those in economic environment, social environment, um, individual characteristics. And maybe we could start with that uh, economic environment and talk about that a little bit and how that you know contributes to a person's financial well-being. Yeah, it's interesting. In the, in the research, they're sort of able to extract of those there's a few dimensions there and, and economic these broader economic environments one of them and they they sort of say that that contributes roughly uh between 10 and 14 sort of percent of someone's overall well-being uh, financial wow. it plays this interesting role sort of uh, in the background but it really frames frames a whole person uh, life because we're all we're all in an economic system you know we're all here in australia and in our various states that have various sort of levels of opportunity um and equity and all that sort of stuff and so the broader economic environment um, plays this role um, in providing us certain economic opportunities you know uh, you know how many jobs are available in my area what kind of jobs are available um to me what are the um, tax policies of my of my nation, you know, how and, and how are they distributing those goods and services? And so that just provides the context of our life, but it also um, provides this sort of interesting backdrop. I mean, um, one of the most fascinating things about the coronavirus um, pandemic, for example, that that certainly has played a, 
had an effect on the broader economic environment of people's lives. You know, that's certainly a, um, a big picture issue um, and created a great deal of fear and uncertainty. And so people are reporting sort of lower you know, well-being overall um, in this time. But, but interestingly, the, the net income of Australians rose during the, the pandemic um, and actually many businesses um, thrived. You know, you know, obviously many others suffered greatly and people did lose jobs, but um, but in many ways, the, 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 um, it was the fear and, and the, um, of the unknown and the uncertainty that would come that really paralysed people um, the most, not necessarily, um, you know, the, the economic impact on, on specific individuals. So it's just an interesting, it, it provides the backdrop to everything we do and sort of it's always, it looms large in the background of, of uh, the financial decisions we make and, and um, often people do make financial decisions sort of out of fear, you know, or reactivity to what's going on uh, around them in their lives. And so it plays an important, yeah, an important factor in, in what's going on. Yeah, that's interesting with the, uh, you know, you would think that with the coronavirus that the net income of people would have dropped, but apparently it didn't. Yeah, yeah. rose by 1%. Percent. Okay, yeah. wow. Yeah. That, was, that was from the Australian Bureau of Statistics. We're able to, to find that. Um, and uh, they sort of were able to collaborate with with the banks um, and do some massive data collection and, and and take that findings, which is just yeah bizarre and sort of beggars belief really in, in many ways. But um, uh, it's yeah just a strange anomaly of of these times. Um, mm. Interestingly, was the when you look at the um, the data sets, it was those um, with the high in the highest income brackets that reported the most significant drops of financial well-being. Um, and so their, their financial well-being overall dropped most significantly, even though their income was least affected. And, and actually hmm. they didn't drop sort of a lower socioeconomic group necessarily either. And um, so again, it's, it, uh, you know, the economic environment we're in creates a sense of fear or certainty, you know, and, and we, we want stable governments um, with, with strong institutions that we can trust and we feel like a predictable and so we're able to make decisions that affect our future and when those things are thrown into a sort of state of chaos it creates fear and uncertainty um, and even if it doesn't affect our objective um, financial well-being those objective things like our actual income um, it still creates this feeling of i guess of chaos of of i don't know what's going to happen in the future and that creates a lot of fear for people and so yeah can have a really significant effect on our overall well-being so how did how does the past year twenty twenty uh, we're all looking forward to uh, you know moving into twenty twenty one and and seeing how that sorts out but how did that how did um, all of the coronavirus and everything that, around that how did that affect the work you guys do at CAP did it did it change to more or less Yeah, it was really interesting when it first hit. We were really gearing up for sort of an onslaught of, of new clients and, and actually worried that we wouldn't be able to handle at all the sort of the whole financial hardship industry was really bracing for that. Mm -hmm. um, and it never came. Actually, um, referrals uh, slowed down and people weren't reaching out for as much help. And that wasn't just for us at CAP, that was across the, the sector more generally. And so we were sort of scratching our heads a little bit, but I think. Um, yeah, people were receiving different stimuluses or seeing that, um, see, seeing what was going around them and really sort of hunkered down, really prioritise things differently. And, and um, 
Yeah, so, so we're quite interested in, in, in that and what that meant. Um, typically, uh, the clients we serve uh, and try to um, assist uh, um, have, rely on, on some sort of government um, benefit in the first place. And so a lot of our typical clientele um, would have received those stimulus packages and seen their income increase. And so it's sort of it's a, it's a reprieve from the, their daily sort of struggle with um, ongoing the, the debt cycle or being able to keep themselves sort of above water. So um, we're sort of waiting and seeing. So really it was a year of sort of preparing and thinking and, and sort of putting together resources so that um, churches could still be able to step into that place and, and educate people who, who perhaps have more than they did before and actually try to use that wisely. Um, the danger is always that when people have more, um, they spend more. Um, but of course, when you're, when you're reliant on um, government benefits for those, um, for, for your main source of income, um, that can rise and fall with the political cycle. And so um, very vulnerable to that, that change. We know that in March, um, a lot of that's when the benefits are tipped to be reviewed and, and possibly rolled back. And so um, that's when we're sort of preparing for, yeah, some changes there. Also, banks and other creditors um, were quite liberal in um, moratoriums to sort of um, not calling up debt and things like that over this last year. And so um, they really came to the party in trying to not put pressure on, on the average consumer. And so that meant that um, people weren't, um, yeah, they didn't have that sort of debt pressure on them as much as they normally would. And so, yeah, it was quite, it was a quiet a year for us in, in many ways, but um, it was a good year to try and prepare and consider what will happen next and what the longer term effects of this will be uh, on the average Australian. Yeah. I, you know, in, in my opinion, personally, I feel that Australia overall did so well with mm. everything that's happened. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, I didn't, I didn't grow up here, but in my, my homeland over in America, there's, there, there's a lot of struggle going on there and yeah. uh, you know, I've got family there and all that concerns me, but um, yeah, Australia's done such a beautiful job uh, with it. Like here where I'm at on the Gold Coast in Queensland, it's, it's, it's almost non-existent really, mm. Um, mm. which is great. It's wonderful. Um, in, in that, you know, those, those three levels that contribute towards a person's um, financial health and well-being. there's also the, the social environment involved with that mm. and kind of what does that involve and yeah. what's that about? Um, so that goes one step sort of in from our, you know, broader environment, but that really is sort of the household you, you grew up in, but also the household you're a part of now. Um, so that, that forms the most immediate um, part of your social environment. Um, but it's also your peer group or the people you associate with or, or your mm. workplace. Um, so it's the people in your immediate environment. Um, and it has a pretty profound impact on people's overall financial well-being. Again, it contributes about 15% to someone's sort of overall um, well-being. And that is um, the, yeah, the, the efficacy, the capability um, to manage finances in your overall household and, and in your overall sort of social um, group. Uh, is a significant indicator. I mean, if you are a single parent, for example, you're, you have a significant strain um, to be able to raise children on one income, especially um, in our sort of current economic climate where, you know, it's almost become a prerequisite to have two incomes to be able to raise a family. Um, but if you've got or you're sick or elderly relative that you are the primary carer of or have to provide some sort of care for, um, that impacts your um, financial being, your ability to go out and earn wage, 
children obviously have an impact for, for better or for worse for some people, you know, people are delaying children so they can save more money and, and be prepared for that because it's a significant burden. Um, but also your, yeah, your peer group and the circles you mix in, um, really, uh, play, play an important role because that's the sort of world you're a part of. That's sort of the way you see people managing their money and that just sort of becomes normal for you. And so, um, that might look like having to try and keep up with the Joneses if you, if you're in certain circles, but also, um, in other, in other communities where, um, you know, people, um, don't receive opportunity that can become what is sort of referred to as a poverty mindset, which is one that, um, is, uh, because the day-to-day -day, um, keeping up with with just the daily struggles of life can be so overwhelming, people don't plan for the future. It's very much more about our immediate needs and circumstances. And so whether you live in one of those two communities um, will play a significant impact on your, yeah, your, your financial being. It's that social environment that we, that we live in. Um, and, and one of the reasons we love being able to partner with the local church and the programs we develop is, is people's church environment form a significant part of their their social life, uh, if they're a part of one. And, and it's mm. a, you know, even secular research says um, how, how much of a positive impact being part of a church community or, or a group like that has on someone's overall well-being. just having um, positive people in your life that are for you, um, that um, are living by a shared set of values, norms and beliefs, um, and able to encourage you to, 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 you know, especially if churches are uh, having healthy conversations about money to be able to encourage one another and speak openly about these things. And so um, that's a significant part of that. Mm, yeah, for sure. That I, that's, that's interesting that those different areas and levels that, that play into that. Um, it's almost like the objective and subjective. We just kind of, mm. I know I do personally, I tend to think about numbers. Um, and there's, there's also individual characteristics that at play into someone's, um, financial health and well-being as well. Um, what are, yeah. what are some of those individual things? Yeah. So, um, the, the, the knowledge and skills someone has, you know, this is the typical domain of what was, um, financial literacy. And, and while, um, that's still certainly a part of it, it's kind of gone out of, um, vogue a little, I guess, as we've broadened our understanding of what's important, you know, it used to be that if we could teach someone, you know, about financial systems, um, then they would be okay. They'd be able to set themselves up. And, but actually um, knowledge about how, you know, finances work is one thing, um, but actually, um, so, and so that's certainly part of an indiv the individual characteristic of someone, the actual, the more, you know, you know, if you understand superannuation or you understand um, insurance products and how to use them, if you understand how to use internet banking and things like that, you, you have some more knowledge and you have some skills in your, in your tool belt. Um, in, in, so to speak, to be able to navigate financial systems. And so that contributes to um, financial well-being, but, but only, you know, it's about sort of 10% contributes to someone's overall financial well-being. Um, what's, what's much more significant is someone's um, psychological factors. So again, these, as we talked about before, but these are the individual characteristics of the way someone views the world, what they believe about themselves, what they um, believe about money and, and what it should be used for, these sorts of inner values and beliefs and the way they feel about money um, is a significant factor in people's financial well-being. But, but, but by and by large, the, the most important thing that contributes to a person's overall well-being is our individual behaviours, actually what we do with our money. You know, um, we might live in a particular economic environment with, surrounded with certain family members and friends that use their money in a particular way, um, which shapes us and informs um, all these things. It might inform 
how much we know about money because of what our parents taught us or might inform how we think and feel about money because of our childhood experiences. But, but absolutely overwhelmingly, the, the biggest factor in, in our financial lives that plays the most important role is actually what we do. Funnily enough, you know, our behavior is the most significant indicator of whether we have financial well-being or not. And so, um, you know, it's all well and good to, to know about the share market and how to grow wealth or how to, you know, earn more money. But if we don't actually put all those things into practice or if we don't just keep a simple budget, if we don't um, spend less money than we earn, you know, simple things like that, we will, um, experience poor financial well-being if we, if we use if we overuse um, credit products to sort of live our day-to-day lives um, we can become really vulnerable financially to, to different changes and shocks if if we um, yeah overspend or, or all these sorts of things so actually what we do with our money is overwhelmingly the most important mm. factor in financial well-being yeah that does make sense that does make <laughs> sense <laughs> it's, yeah it's a, there's a lot of different pieces of the puzzle there, isn't there? You know, there's subjective, objective, economic environment, social environment, and then our personal behaviors too. There's mm. so much involved mm. with that to think about. Yeah. And so that's why it's complicated and sometimes hard to, to, to talk about. I mean, our behaviors are normally um, habitual more or less, you know, it's, and they're, they're mostly things that we do relatively unthinkingly you know, because they're things we've always done and, and we'll continue to do unless um, we have a real impetus to change them. And even then it can be really hard to break those habits and cycles of behavior. Um, you know, like this a silly example is just the, the morning coffee, you know, how much we spend on morning coffee, but that becomes a, that's a, a habit of behavior um, that's ingrained, you know, that, that morning run, that morning coffee run or um, just the way we, we manage and spend our money. We might know that we don't want to um, spend money on Friday nights out. Um, but then Friday night comes around and that's what we just do every Friday night. And so we go out, we go to the shops, we go out with our friends or we have some takeout or whatever. We might know we wanted to save that money, but if we um, haven't got any alternatives or if we don't have any other sort of behaviors to replace that, we'll just, we'll just do what we've always done essentially. And so that's why you sort of, you've got to start, you, you look at your behavior and you look at the way you use your money and you almost have to work a bit backwards from there. Okay. Why do I do that? What, what does this reflect about my beliefs? Why do I want to keep doing that? Or what are my values? What do I want to um, change about my behaviors? So I'm actually I'm moving towards the things that I say that I value rather than maybe away from them. What sort of knowledge and skills do I need to learn? And, and what more do I need to know so that I can reinforce those good behaviors? And can I step back then and, and look at my social um, environment and sort of think about whether this is a positive or negative environment for me to be in. I mean, our economic environment is something that's broadly out of our control, but I can at least change the way I think and feel about that. And, and if I've got a consistent good set of practices and behaviors, then that can really set me on a good path to be sort of immune from the shocks of those things. And so you've sort of almost got to start there and work backwards and then go to go forwards, you know, you know but it, but it's all really comes down to behavior and what we do with our finances and, and trying to um, take, take and observe ourselves a little bit and okay, what are the automatic things that I just do without thinking and try to then be a little bit more deliberate in, in what we do. And I think um, this is something that um, as a follower of Jesus, uh, we want to do with all of our life, you know, so much of our behavior and, and what we do and how we treat people and how we treat ourselves is just sort of these patterns of behavior that we sort of do a little unthinkingly. We know we should be a good person and, you know, go to church on Sunday, but apart from, you know, actually then 
taking a step back and going, oh, you know, what are my values as a follower of Christ? What do I believe about the world um, because of who Jesus says I am? And, and what, what am I working towards? I, I want to be more like Jesus. So what patterns of behavior should I, um, you know, adopt and reinforce so that I'm moving more towards like towards him? What do I need to know to support that? And what's my social environment like? Is that um, conducive to being a follower of Christ or, or is that making it more difficult, you know, and then start then working forward again. And, and I think um, that that's just the, the Christian life is, is one of examining ourselves and, and, and trying to move forward to be more like the one we follow. Um, and it's certainly true of our financial lives as well. Yeah. It's, it's interesting in that, you know, how we think, how we feel, how we act um, are all things that we decide to do really. Um, and mm. thinking and feeling sometimes, you know, it takes a little more discipline maybe, but we can decide about those things and they really mm. are what affects our, you know, health and well-being, and financially and mentally in other areas as well. And we often look at those things as, you know, I feel this way because of outside influence or mm-hmm. I, you know, my finances aren't doing well because of outside influences. And sometimes that may be the case, you know, big things mm-hmm. happen that we can't control, but a lot of it, probably the great majority of it really does have a lot to do with just the decisions we make and how we think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is really, that's right. Yeah, totally. Totally. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's certainly easier if we feel like our, um, behaviors have led us to an unhealthy place financially, um, to sort of try and look around and go, um, you know, what, what can I blame for this? And and we don't do this, that we don't just do that with our finances. We do that with so many areas of our life that if we feel like we're not as healthy or we're not where we should be, it's a lot easier to finger point. And, And again, as you say, um, those are valid things. You know, it's valid to consider what are the external influences here. Um, but I think the message of hope that is in the scriptures is to say um, we are not um, ships out at sea, you know, that uh, just to be buffeted around by the waves, but actually we can be given a new heart with new desires and affections and we can renew our minds um, and actually, you know, in, in, uh, and conform to the way uh, of Jesus, which is a way of life. Yeah, you know, and, and actually, and we, so we're not, we're not as aimless or it's, it's, it's a message of hope, you know, but actually, um, and, and it's a message, not just, I need to, you know, pull myself up by my bootstraps and, and change myself to better myself, but actually um, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, at the foot of the cross, I can come and say, Jesus, you know, change me, transform me, um, lead me, guide me. And, and he gives us the power to do so. Um, yeah. It's that's a huge factor. True freedom. Yeah. Huge factor there having that help. Um, It is, it is almost like uh, there's so many things that we might want to change in our life. And, and and sometimes I think we can almost have the mentality of it'd be nice if I could just take a pill and it would fix all this, but it really does Mm -hmm. take some discipline and some help and especially for, you know, as a Christian, we definitely have that, that big advantage of having the help of the Holy spirit working in us. Mm. And which is, which is huge, especially when it comes to just, you know, the like, Oh, I suppose the psychological aspects of things and how we feel about things and how mm. we view them. Um, when, when somebody comes to you, you know, in regards to the, to if, well, let's just say if I were somebody who was like, okay, I'm in trouble and I come to you, you know, where do we, where do we start? What do we, what do we do there? 
Yeah. I mean, we, we, we want to start um, first by just hearing that person and just listening to their story. Um, as I said, you know, there's so many factors at play and, and often financial hardship and financial stress is sort of the tip of the iceberg of a, you know, a deeper set of you know different different issues and and often financial distress is triggered by another adverse life event and so oftentimes especially with people in in unmanageable debt maybe they had a debt burden that they felt was manageable for some time you know their credit cards were sort of maxed out but they could always maybe just keep up the repayments or their mortgage was kind of maybe a little beyond them but they were able to kind of keep up with that um but then uh you know one partner um, is laid off or a child mm. is born, the marriage separation or part, you know, break, uh, family breakdown or some other sort of illness or um, long-term injury, things like that. And all of a sudden um, what felt like manageable debt just becomes unmanageable, you know, in, in a, in a day um, and can really quickly spiral. And, and um, you know, that's one end of it. Other, other times it's, it's people who have been in long-term poverty and have been relying on payday lenders and, and really high interest loans and things like that just to get by and have finally come to the, just the absolute breaking point of that. And, um, and so there's always so many other things to go on. And so our mentors, we just want to listen. So first we just start, how do you tell me your story, your, your, your money story, but also just where, where you're at um, in that we'll be able to identify just a bit more of what, what does this person need? You know, it's not just about telling people, Oh, well, you should be budgeting better. And you know, that that'll solve all your problems. Now let's, let's hear this person. Um, and, and sometimes that means um, referring them to other professional services while staying involved. Um, sometimes that just means being a good listening ear and, and a prayerful friend um, to a person and, and just helping them slowly start that journey. Um, and so then we'll, we'll just want to teach some people some good, some good formative practices. We, we want to teach them how to build a budget. This could be um, sometimes, a this is often the biggest barrier for people. It's the most painful part, but it's um, the most important step is, is actually, okay, let's, let's um, organize your financial life somewhat. Um, let's, let's write a budget. And sometimes people freak out about that word, you know, what, what a budget is, but really we just think of a budget as being um, uh, everything you, you earn, and everything you spend on a piece of paper, you know, all the incoming and all the outgoing, um, let's just get that down and figure out where your money's going. Because often that just feels like it's so beyond people. You know, most people don't know where their money's going truthfully. Um, and this is a good process because it helps people organize their world a little bit and actually sort of see, okay, where is everything in my life? And so this can just be a little bit of a cathartic process of putting everything down. Um, it can sometimes be a little painful because um, a budget in some ways is really seeing yourself on a piece of paper. Um, you know, you're seeing the things that you value. You're saying that, you know, that's how much of a dollar value I give to that particular thing in my life, you know, whatever that might be. And so then we can really ask people, okay, you know, this budget doesn't balance or is this budget really what you, um, where you want to be? And, and we help people say, okay, what are your values? What are your priorities? You know, we, we work with Christians and non-Christians alike and, we, we share a bit of the story of Jesus with people and, and share his values, the kingdom values of contentment, generosity, joy, and wisdom, these sorts of things. But we want to um, help people where they're at. And so, Hey, what, where, where's your life going? Where do you see, where, where do you want your life to be going? And, and let's get, um, let's see if we can work this budget to, to actually fit that. And so it's a little bit of identity work, you know, it's actually saying, okay, um, do I really value all that stuff that's, that's in this budget? 
and um, let's just start making some changes there. First in theory, you know, okay, what? let's make the changes on the piece of paper and then um, with that mentor, let's put some of this stuff into practice slowly but surely, just change some of the ways I spend my money. Um, we help people organise their banking system, so with a few different accounts just to help them manage things and put money in its, you know, different accounts to sort of help people spend it wisely. And, um, and then, yeah, just walk them on the journey. If they've got um, debt arrangements or, or um, things like that, we want to help them put those hardship arrangements in place, encourage them to call their, their debtors and creditors so that they can um, speak to them. You know, creditors uh, are scared, can be scary, but they're a lot friendlier if you, if you call them first, right? So we try to encourage people just to do that, take that step and put those plans in place so they can slide, slowly move forward. And, and often when we bring some order to the financial life, it, it gives someone a sense of, okay, like we, we can do this. And then actually we can start to work on some of those underlying issues as well, whether that be through other church resources, you know, maybe the church has a counseling um, center or other pastoral care ministries or by referring them out to other um, agencies in the, in the community, other counselors or psychologists, things like that, um, that can help them on that journey. All the while, just sort of being a good friend, you know, a, 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 to, to that person, inviting them into the church community, the life of it. We like to think of it as sort of walking side by side, you know, we don't want the church to be seen as this sort of gatekeeper, this font of all wisdom that, you know, helps all these poor people out, you know, because they need our help, um, our good Christian help. But actually just like, hey, we're two people, two broken people walking alongside each other um, with the love of Jesus. And hey, here's some practical things you can do, but, but really it's about the person. Um, so that was a bit of a long answer. But, yeah, it really just starts with the individual and, and what, what they're doing, what, where they're at at that time and trying to slowly but surely put some order um, in place. Mm, yeah, that sounds great. That sounds so good. Um, and, you know, and there's probably a lot of people listening who, you know, maybe they're not in trouble, but they'd like to be in a better situation than they are. There's some things that, you know, somebody, and I'd, I'd say that's probably a lot of people. Um, are there some things that you know, somebody in that situation can do where, okay, I can improve my, you know, financial health and well-being. I'm not in trouble, but I'd like to do better. Mm-hmm. There's some things somebody like that can do. Yeah, I think, I think that's realistically the majority of people. Um, uh, I think, you know, I speak to a lot of different people in, in this exact situation. And, and so uh, we run money workshops and courses. So this is sort of just that checkup. You know, it's not necessarily for someone who's absolutely at crisis point, but they want to come, they want to learn a bit more about budgeting and, and how they can put some different systems they can put in place to just improve the order of their financial life. Um, and, but really, it, we just got to encourage people to start talking about and thinking about it. A lot of the time people either just think, ah, you know, it's okay. If I don't check out, I'll I'll be all right. You know, bury sort of their head in the sand about it. That's how people get in trouble. They say they load up credit or, you know, it's easier and easier to get. And then, you know, in a change of circumstances. So really we want to encourage people to talk about it, especially if they've got a partner, talk to your partner about money openly and honestly um, with one another, especially if you share finances, but um, if not just to be, communicating about it, talking about it. If you're a single person, talk about money with a friend, with a pastor, with a, with a, a counselor, whoever, just talk about your finances, ask questions, you know, listen to podcasts, things like that. Um, it's important to, to get a hold of, but not in a way that we don't want money to control people's life. We just want people to um, be informed so they can um, really not have to think too much about money, you know, like mm. actually but have put some structure in place so that money isn't what consumes their life, but it's, it's been given the attention that it needs so that they can actually be fruitful and enjoy the rest of it. But 
really the biggest tip. So talking about money is, is the big one, but really these are just, just have a budget, even if it's um, just a bit of a budget in your head, just know where your money's going um, and spend less than you earn. You know, it's amazing how people do spend just slightly more than they earn because of you know, credit cards or um, afterpays and you know, all those sorts of things that allow us to sort of just nudge above what we earn and, and not have sort of any savings away. And so that's, that's a big one, just being able to spend less than you earn. If you can do that, if you can talk about money and spend slightly less than you earn, um, they're, they're two of the big um, behavioural factors that contribute to financial well-being. Um, the other one is to not rely on credit for your day-to-day spending. You know, there, there's a place for credit in society, you know, and, and, and loans for certain things, um, but they need to be treated um, with wisdom and caution. Um, and the research says that if we are using credit for our day-to-day expenses, you know, just our usual shopping or, you know, fuel and coffees, all that sort of stuff, then we're in a more vulnerable position because um, if we miss those, if we miss those repayments or start to load that up, we, we will spend more money if we're spending money on credit. So it's not conducive to having financial being. So that's, that's another tip uh, for people to, to not use that. Use that debit card or, or cash even. Yeah. Yeah. Those are great tips. I know, um, well, uh, afterpays, I don't know, maybe, maybe I've only recently noticed it, but it, it seems like it's a relatively new thing. And I know there's so much mm. temptation in credit and with something like afterpay, it's just so easy to just click and get it and on things that we don't really need to use credit for. To- totally, totally. And it's all about uh, the sort of marketing gurus out there will say, it's all about removing friction from the transaction. So making it as seamless and as smooth as possible. So you, so they're trying to actually remove any point of a consumer having to stop and think about a purchase. So the less thinking you need to do, if you can at the click of a button, see and get, then that's all the better for companies who make money off snap people making, you know, more quick decisions because we don't you know, stop and think and slow down. And I think um, it's, I think it's a good practice financially, but also just a good habit for a follower of Jesus to sometimes slow down um, slow down and think, you know, what, what are, you know, my values. And that's why it's good to, to actually have a set of values, actually thinking what value in life, what do I want in life? Um, so you can slow down and when you are faced with a purchase decision, go, is this actually contributing to the things I value? Like, what does this say about me? What is this purchase? You know? And so being able to slow down and, and so um, relying on, you know, using afterpays and easy credit and things like that. Um, just speed up the transaction process so fast so that we don't even have time to stop and consider, does this actually reflect who I want to be? And is this actually making me the person that um, I say that I am, or I believe that I am, but yeah. And after, and I mean the, um, the default rates on afterpays are, are growing, you know, I think um, one third of afterpay consumers um, pay late fees because they miss their, um, miss their scheduled repayments and then that's growing steadily. Um, the interesting thing about Afterpay, because it's not a credit product and another similar buy now, pay later products, just picking on Afterpay, is that they're not a credit provider, which means they're not um, regulated by the same credit laws that, that other institutions are, which means they can effectively charge whatever um, rates they want um, as far as fees go. So okay. a regular, so, so credit organisations can't charge more than 48% interest, which is a shockingly high um, mm. anyway, but so they, they legally can't charge more than 48% interest, but um, buy now, pay later schemes can charge, you know, hundred percent, you know, 
fees because they're not interest, so to speak. It's not credit. So um, it's a way for them to exploit the vulnerabilities of of consumers for sure. Yeah, that's definitely, it's, it sounds like it'd be really easy to get in a lot of trouble that way if they're not really Mm. careful. And, And you just, you touched on it a second ago, but that just, I think shows us how important it is to have that set of values to operate from. And maybe we could, we could talk a little bit about some of those key biblical values um, mm. that we can, you know, have in our lives as Christians that we can, you know, implement. And then when it comes to making these decisions, we can always fall back on those values. Yeah. So what are some yeah. of those that you guys teach and um, maybe operate from? Yeah. I mean, we sort of, I mean, the Bible, as you said, has a lot to say about finances and money and, um, we rather not sort of be like a, you know, and the Proverbs has a lot to say about it, but it's, it's a bit broader than just sort of a proverb for a um, solution sort of thing. But we, we think that we, we summarize it as a, the way the Bible talks about money, there's a biblical, um, there is a biblical call. Um, there's a biblical caution um, and there's a biblical, um, oh man, my mind is blanked. I uh, can't think a, of it. A claim. Claim. That's the rule. Thank you. You, you, Yeah. So there's a biblical claim. There's a biblical call and there's biblical caution. Sorry for my mental Mm. blank there. No, no, no worries at all. Claim is basically, you know, the claim comes from Genesis, you know, one and two, that the world is God's. He created it. Um, It is his that he generously um, bestows to us as, as men and women to, to be stewards of, to, to care for and to see it flourish. So, in God's generosity, he, he gives it to us to, to caretake. And so, you know, everything is God's. Every, every good and perfect gift comes from God. And, and so that is um, the biblical claim that really we're just sort of stewards, caretakers of, of this. And, and really, you know, all of our strengths, all of our talents, all of our, our abilities, really they're, they're, you know, endowed upon us by, by God and we are his image bearers. And so we're called to live, you know, to, to glorify him, you know, and, and uh, enjoy him forever just to see other people's photo. That's the biblical claim. The biblical call is, is just that to, to live in light of that identity as image bearers of God, to be able to bring him glory. Um, and in that, in, in knowing God and, and in glorifying him, actually we find our greatest joy. Um, but also we, find, we, you know, and we do so by, by benefiting others actually for the common good, the, you know, um, especially as Christians sort of bestowing the common grace of, of God's goodness um, to the, to our broader culture. That's sort of the biblical call to, to live in, in lives like that with generous reciprocity and generosity, contentment. And then there's the caution, um, which is really to say, and we've touched on this before, you know, that, that money can be a snare, you know, and the love of money and the love of all the things we feel like it will bring and satisfy in us, you know, all of the ifs and thens, you know, if they, and money can be a real um, danger, you know, if, if not treated with caution and care, if not put in its proper place, um, if we elevate uh, money or even if we sort of elevate the things that money can get us to an improper place in our lives, it can, it can lead to our own despair and, and lack of happiness, but also to the um, degeneration of, of society around us. I think, you know, in, in the, in the broadest sense, when, we use our money poorly when we use it unjustly um, when we use it to exploit or just to gain for ourselves. It creates a society of distrust. It creates a society of exploitation and harm. And so they're the sort of the three C's, the biblical uh, claim, call and caution um, that we, that we like to talk about. And we think they sort of 
fit into each sort of area of, of financial well-being really and sort of speak into it in a different way. Mm, yeah, that's that's a really helpful way to think of it, claim, call, and caution. It's easy to remember too. And if we can yeah. you know, integrate those things into our life and remember those, especially when we're working in the area of financial health and well-being, and we can fall back on those biblical principles. I think it's, yeah, it's really helpful to be able to do that, which I guess leads us into the concept of being a good steward mm. with what belongs to God. Yeah. And I think that's just, it, it's just about putting money in its, in its right place and, and understanding our identity as his image bearers, um, as the ones that have been given the, the mandate over creation to, to, um, to rule over it and subdue it and, and rule over it, not in, you know, not as harsh rulers, but, you know, as, as good caretakers. And, um, and so, and so that requires wisdom to be, to be a good steward requires um, an understanding of, of how money works, of how um, society could flourish and, and of principles of the kingdom. So we need to, we do need to know, we need to sort of assess sort of what it is we believe and, and make sure that's in line with, with, with that. And then, yeah, actually, um, consider our behavior, consider our actions and, and actually practice a way, you know, um, the language like formative practices actually practice a way that's conducive to, to not just our own sort of individual flourishing, you know, our individual sort of our mini kingdoms, you know, like not just so that we can have, um, you know, healthy uh, financial lives ourselves. I think the healthiest um, financial life is one that is, is continually outward focused and thinking, it's not just about me and, or even just me and my family, but how does, how do we contribute to our church community, our broader community and think about how we're actually stewarding that. And, and, um, and I mean, not just in the way we, we give money, um, you know, that, and that's often sometimes um, where um, churches will major when we talk about money, churches um, major on giving, giving money generously. Mm-hmm. Absolutely a huge part of it. Um, but I mean, just the way we spend our money, even is building a certain type of world and is stewarding wealth in a certain type of way. You know, the, the types of things we buy reflect the, it's, it's almost like a little, you know, you can buy shares in a company that you value because you see that as a, as a good and profitable thing and a good investment for yourself, or, or you can spend money at that company. Um, and both of those things promote it. And so when we spend money a particular way, we're saying that's, I want more of that in this world, so to speak. Mm. And so, being able to take captive, uh, okay, where, where am I spending my money? What am I spending it on? Is this not just um, reflective of my values of sort of what I want and where I'm going, but is this reflective of the values that I want to see in, in the world? You know, if everyone bought, if everyone spent money the same way I'm spending money, would this lead to a flourishing society or not? And so I think that's all part of what it means to be a steward, but basically just a caretaker, you know, looking after the good things that we've been given and, and seeing, a, seeing a people flourish. Yeah, those are some great thoughts about how we spend money and, and what we're doing and building by how we spend money and what kind of, you know, culture and society we're building by the way we spend. Because, you know, I personally, that that's probably not something I would normally think about. So that's a great thought. Yeah. And I mean, uh, there's always limitations to that. And, and we've just got to use our, that, that's the thing, just something where we just use our conscience and decide, you know, what can we, what can we afford and, and what should we spend our money on? You know, like 
just an obvious example of that is, you know, there's two coffee shops next to each other. If you buy your coffee every day at one of them um, and everyone did that, the other one would go out of business. And, and that, you know, if maybe if they made terrible coffee and had bad service and okay, you know, the, um, but you know, we, we're supporting, we're throwing our support behind whatever we spend our money on. And so we'll see more of that um, in the world. It's, yeah. And I think we've been particularly reminded of that in times like um, last year in the aftermath of the bushfires, you know, there was a lot of campaigns around um, going on local um, holidays and spending money in local businesses that might've been poorly affected because we wanted to see those businesses flourish again. We wanted to see them rebuild because we said as a nation, like, Hey, we value having um, these, these small communities, especially these, these country towns being able to actually um, you know, stand on their own two feet, actually be able to have businesses that are thriving. So let's, let's spend money there. Um, we we want to support them in doing that. You know, it's, one thing to wish them well and, and, you know, write messages of support, but um, we, we vote with our wallets in many ways. And so that's the sort of world we create um, with what we spend our money on. Mm, yeah, that's so true. Um, and sometimes like, Oh, I know in my own life, I, I really enjoy, you know, the, the locally owned mom and pop type businesses and things. And that's something for me personally, I like to promote. So I tend mm. to spend money in a place like that. And they sometimes they can't afford to maybe be as inexpensive as a big chain, but you know, mm. what do you want to see more of? You know, what do you want your totally. community to look like? And so, yeah, yeah that's such a yeah, great totally. talk. Yeah, totally. And I mean, that's different um, for, for people in different income levels as well. And that's why we think it's just something you've just got to, it's just worth considering, you know, there are some people who would say, you know, I would never buy the, uh, I remember when there was this sort of milk wars and uh, the milk was being reduced all the time, but people were saying how bad this is for farmers and things like that because milk's $2. And, you know, and so a lot of people decided to buy more expensive milk because that sent more money farmers way. And that's great. But, you know, there are a lot of people out there who genuinely can't afford to pay, mm. you know, dollars for a couple of liters of milk. They, they rely on the really cheap $1 carton. And so um, is that immoral of them because they're not supporting farmers? Well, no, probably not because that's just the, the where they where they are. And so it's just gonna it is gonna be a little different for all of us. But at least if we are a little more conscious of the way we consume and stopping and pausing and thinking, and going, yeah, I, I do want to spend my money there. This is a good thing, you know. That then that's I think that's that's the win. That's and that's what yeah, we call yeah. Jesus. Yeah, for sure. Nobody should ever feel guilty for needing what they or doing what they need to do for sure. Yeah, mm. I definitely agree mm. with that. Well, uh, Stuart, I really appreciate your time today, man. But before we kind of start to wrap up, I was wondering what can say an individual do or a church do, or how, how can they support uh, Christians against poverty? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's all at our website, capost, capaust.org. Um, the ways you can support the charities by, um, you can sign up to, to our newsletter and, and hear about what we're doing. We, we love sharing um, the, the news of the, the churches right across Australia that are partnered with us and that network and um, just sort of celebrating those things. So you can, you can get involved by hearing those stories. Um, you can donate um, to the work of providing the resources and the training and the support um, to this network of churches that is doing amazing work in the community. So you can certainly sign up. We call, we call our monthly donors life changes because really it does, you know, the financial help um, that we're able to provide people through the local church um, just goes a long way to transforming people's lives and bringing them hope that they may never have had 
um, before without the church being able to walk alongside them and show them the love of Jesus. And so people can support financially, either you know ongoing or one-off, um, or you can um, be trained, become a, become a coach, become a, a mentor and, and walk alongside people and sort of learn the skills. Um, often it's a really rewarding journey um, for coaches themselves. They sort of themselves relearn a little bit, you know, what is, what is a biblical way to manage my money and, and how can I support people in my community? So if you're um, a Christian involved in some sort of work in the community and you know uh, there are people out there that are struggling financially or even just people you know in your community that um, would rather not talk about money or think they're going okay but, you know, could always use a tune-up, um, by all means, get trained um, to, to learn what we do and, and see if you can apply that in your context. And so you can do that on our website as well, make an inquiry to, to become a become trained by us. Oh, cool. So it's almost like a, a kind of an extension uh, in local churches of what you guys do. That's pretty, yeah, pretty yeah. awesome. I like that. Yeah. So, yeah, so they can support you financially or they can get involved and actually do something as well. Um, yeah. And those is, is that kind of how, how a church would get involved is maybe have somebody from their church. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or? And uh, some, that is maybe sometimes a bit of a misconception. I mean, um, CAP is, uh, sees itself as an equipping organization. So when I say we, um, it's a bit of a misnomer because it's, when I say we, I mean the churches we train and partner with. Um, oh, okay. you know, yeah. The CAP is the equipper, the trainer, the support um, to go out and do that work. But we really believe it's the local church that brings the hope of Jesus. And we partner with local churches to do this work. And so we train volunteers or, or people on staff or, you know, whoever else in local church communities to deliver these workshops, to do the mentoring and coaching. Um, and so it's really all about the local church. And so we've got hundreds of churches we partner with across Australia running either workshops or doing, you know, one-on-one stuff with people. And so you, your church can get trained too. Um, we can talk away. We love partnering with churches. We partner with churches across you know, all denominations, um, which is always fun. And so, yeah, we, we, we partner with all sorts and we love to, to talk to your, your church or your community or whatever, however we can support what you're doing. Very cool, Stuart. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, thanks, especially. I know, I know you're on holiday at your parents' place. I really, really appreciate <laughs> you taking the time. Uh, to do this, yeah, no well, even though you're on holiday, man, it's very, very cool. We definitely appreciate what you do, and uh, we'll uh, be supporting and praying for you guys. And uh, yeah, That's look forward awesome. to catching up with you again. And uh, That's yeah, great. I, say, I, I really appreciate it. I mean, thanks so much for having us on. I love that churches and church leaders are wanting to have these sorts of conversations. I think um, the church could you can always get better at, at having these sorts of conversations. As I said. Mm. Um, typically talk a lot about giving money and maybe that's why, um, you know, sometimes people are a little distrusting when the pastor gets up to talk about um, tithing, whatever, oh, he just wants my money. But I think um, I just love that you're having, um, leading a conversation, your congregation and having healthy conversations about money in, in a whole life context. So, so bless you, man. That's really great to, to be able to have these conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Again, really appreciate it. And uh, I hope we can catch up again soon. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, with that, I guess we'll uh, leave it there for today and look forward to catching up with you again. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks so much for listening in today. You can find out more at hinderlandbaptist.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook. A special thanks goes out to our team of volunteers who makes this podcast possible. I hope you found it helpful and I will be praying for your health and well-being. Have a great day.